Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 134 with Kathy Barrow. When you're writing books, you have this idea that you're exposing, you know, your personal side. And I felt like all of my books were pretty personal. And then I got to this one and it just, I mean, my memory bank was blown open. I, I opened up this beat up army green metal recipe box that belonged to my grandmother, Mary, and started going through it and looking at her handwriting and thinking a lot about what I ate as a kid and what she introduced me to and the sort of um, essential foods that were in my family's, uh, at, at my family's table. And I started dreaming about those times and remembering details from her kitchen and my great grandmother's kitchen, things that had just been buried after we won't talk how many decades. So it did end up being more personal than I ever expected when I started writing it. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your host, Chris Spear. Each week, I'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org, and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. I'm your host, Chris Spear. On the show, I have conversations with culinary entrepreneurs and people in the food and beverage industry who took a different route. They're caterers, research chefs, personal chefs, cookbook authors, food truckers, farmers, cottage bakers, and all sorts of culinary renegades. I myself fall into the personal chef category as I started my own personal chef business, Perfect Little Bites, 11 years ago. And while I started working in kitchens in the early 90s, I've literally never worked in a restaurant. This week, I have food writer and recipe developer Kathy Barrow. You might have seen her work in the Washington Post, New York Times, Garden and Gun, Local Palette, and Southern Living. She's authored the cookbooks Mrs. Wheelbarrow's Practical Pantry, Pie Squared, and When Pies Fly. And now Kathy's back with a new book titled Bagels, Schmears, and a Nice Piece of Fish, A Whole Brunch of Recipes to Make at Home. The book's going to be coming out on Tuesday, March 15th. So in preparation for this, Kathy sent me a copy of the book, and I have to say, I really love it. I'd always been kind of scared about making bagels. I don't know why. It just sounded like it would be a lot of work. Uh, I'd never done it before. So I've had the book a little over a month now, and I've made two batches of bagels, and I'm very happy with both of them. If you actually heard my podcast episode about receiving criticism, it was about my bagels, but that's a whole nother thing. So I want to have Kathy to come on and not only talk about her book, but dive a little deeper into bagel making. Having had the book and made some bagels, I wanted to talk about things like barley malt. One of the ingredients that her recipe calls for is barley malt syrup. I had had some challenges finding it, so she talks about where to find it and actually how to appropriately put substitutions in if you can't find that. We also talk about the right kind of flour to use, again, how to... Uh, make your own flour blend to get it to the right protein content if you're not able to find the best flour to make bagels as well. I really do have to say how easy these bagels were to make. Again, I'm not a professional bread maker by any means, and I think this is so easy. If you love eating bagels, you're going to want to pick up this book. You can find a link in the show notes as to where you can get it. I mean, it's available anywhere, but I have a quick link for you. 
pick up this book. Uh, it's not just about bagels. She has great recipes for schmears, uh, things like lox, all the accompaniments. She has salads in there. You know, one of the things we talk about on the show is how much of her life growing up and some of her favorite recipes made it in here. She's got great stories, and I think it's just a great cookbook to read besides the bagel making part. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. I usually start the episode after a word from our sponsor. I will say right now our sponsor is Baking Steel. You might have heard that Andrus was the guest on last week's episode. Uh, Also, we talk about it on this episode because one of the best ways to make an amazing bagel at home is to make it on a baking steel. I know not everyone has one, so you can make them other ways. It's in her book. But if you have a baking steel, you should use it. If you don't have one, you should totally pick one up because it's the best way to make pizza at home, bagels at home. It also works great as a flat top to do things like smash burgers. I make my tortillas on them, which I'm doing tacos at home tonight. It's Taco Tuesday. So this is my baking steel ad for the week. Go out and buy a baking steel. There's a link in the show notes. And as always, if you love the show, please share it with everyone you know. Thanks so much and have a great week. Hey, Kathy, how's it going? So great to have you back on the show. It's really nice to be here. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to talking about this book. I got a sneak peek of this book and I've already made some bagels. So I want to get even more bagel wisdom from you today. Well, I saw the photos on Instagram. It looks like you caught right on. No problem. No, I, I was so intimidated like before making them. I don't know. I've never tried in my life to make bagels before at all because it just, I don't know, it sounded like it was hard. I don't even think I really read that much about it before. I just had this idea of how hard it was. Like you had to boil them and you had to bake them and it was this big deal. And it really wasn't. Yeah, that was really what I was anxious to do with the book was break it down in such a way that it became a no big deal moment. I make bagels so frequently now, it is literally no big deal. It takes me 15, 20 minutes from getting the ingredients out to washing everything up. And, you know, they're in the refrigerator overnight. Amazing. And I think if anyone's made any kind of bread, it's really intuitive at that point. Like if you've made a loaf of bread or anything, it's easier than making a brioche. Like it doesn't have like three or four rises with punch downs. It's one of the easiest breads I've ever had to make. And you don't have to roll it out in any way. And mm -hmm, yeah. So you've been on our show before, so some people probably have heard that. Many people probably know who you are, but could you give us like a little bit of background about who you are and what it is you do? Sure. Uh, I have been writing about food since 2008, which is a ridiculously long time ago, every time I realize that, but it feels like just yesterday. Um, I was a blogger. I was given an opportunity to write for the New York Times and then for the Washington Post for a few years, each of them. And it was a great, uh, great way to learn about writing and hone my skills. My first book was a preserving book, Mrs. Wheelbarrow's Practical Pantry. And then I did two pie books, Pie Squared, which celebrates large slab pies to serve a crowd. And When Pies Fly, which celebrates the small hand pies and smaller versions of crusty goodness. So two years ago, actually two days before we shut down for for lockdown for COVID, I closed the deal on writing a book on bagels. And I'd been thinking about it for years, but I had it hadn't coalesced until that winter. 
and you know, struck the deal and uh, wrote the book. And now it's two years later and I have this beautiful thing to look at. So your book is Bagels, Schmears, and a Nice Piece of Fish. That's right. A whole bunch of things you know, to serve. When did you first make your first bagel? Like, have you had this long love affair with bagels? Successfully? <laughs> uh, I made my first successful bagel um, maybe six years ago. But I had been trying to make them maybe since the 80s. Yeah. And I made a lot of bad bagels. So what was the unlock? Like, did you find a secret or was it just incrementally getting better and better doing it? Uh, the Washington Post did an article on making bagels and they identified high gluten flour. And I guess I, you know, I went in and out of experimenting on bagels. I would go into it for a few months and then I'd give up and go away for two or three years. Then I come back and do it again. And I had never done enough research into flour types. And suddenly the post identified high gluten flour. And I read about it. I was like, oh, well, duh. I mean, that makes that nice shiny exterior, gives you chew, gives you tenderness, does the whole thing. And um, I started ordering high gluten flour from King Arthur right away. And that's when I started knocking out good bagels. Now, you can't just buy that in any grocery store, can you, the high-gluten flour? You know, you can't. And I, I, I'm hoping that this interest in making bagels at home might start to make it available more widely. But there's a workaround. Most of us keep all-purpose flour in the kitchen. And all-purpose flour has a protein level of 10 point, I, I don't know. I'm not going to give you a number because I'll get it wrong. Anyway, high gluten flour has a higher protein level of 14.2%. And in order to achieve that, you can add vital wheat and gluten, which is available at almost every grocery store. It's a little packet, vital wheat gluten, vital wheat gluten flour. And you can add that at two teaspoons per cup, basically, of all-purpose flour, and you've created this strong high gluten flour. It's amazing. I mean, it was so easy. We have Common Market here in town. They have the bulk bin. I went and it was like 75 cents worth of vital wheat and gluten. And just I mixed up a bunch of, of it in a bin because I knew I was going to be making a couple batches of it. So I just broke out the scale, made a bin, and now I have a bin of my bagel flour that I'm going to use. Yeah. You should try it for pizza dough too. Oh, really? I hadn't thought about that for pizza dough because I'm big into making pizzas. So, Well, think about how a really strong dough on pizza gives you that great exterior crust. Oh, now I'm going to be making pizza this weekend. <laughs> Give it a try. <laughs> um, I think that workaround makes me happy because I know that it's onerous for people to think about multiple types of flour in their kitchen or having to order from mail order. And if I can find an easier way for people to get to the bagel, then I'm happy about that. Well, and I think also getting the good crust, like, you know, now I have a baking steel, which worked really well for this. And I feel like that's a massive improvement over just, you know, baking it on a sheet tray in your oven, which can be done, correct? Correct. It can. But I would say if you're going to bake it with a sheet pan, flip that sheet pan upside down. So you're creating a hot metal surface, heat it up in the oven, and then slide uh, your parchment with your bagels right onto that hot surface. It's not as conductive as the baking steel, 
but it's still going to be a nice hot surface. If you bake your bagels inside your baking sheet, it causes some airflow and some condensation and basically steaming, and that won't give you the the bottom will remain um, soft and not cr- uh, crispy. It's all about getting the crispy bread at home. It really is. I just had Andres from Baking Steel on the podcast. Actually, the episode airs today, so it's a great tie in there. You know, and it's phenomenal that I had already gotten your book and I got to talk to him about how it's mentioned in there. And now, um, so our listeners, by the time this airs, will be able to go back and listen to that. And we got to talk about how he created it and all the really cool things you can do with it. And I've I've loved working with mine. I've had mine for several years. I used it also in my slab pie book, because if you're baking in a nine by 13 baking sheet, a quarter sheet pan, and put your pie right on that baking steel, you get a crispy lower crust. It's like a guarantee. The crispy bottom crust was really one of those things I was trying to achieve with the pie book and the baking steel was the perfect solution for that. And one of the other things talking about ingredients is, you know, I had emailed you, I, I can't find barley malt syrup anymore. Like zero people have it. I went into mom's, I went in a common market. They all said they discontinued it a couple years ago. I used honey. Do you think that's like the second best or, or is it worth buying it on the internet? They have not discontinued barley malt syrup. That, <laughs> like, the sto- like the store said they stopped oh. carrying it, like that just people weren't buying it. I think actually what's happened is that there's been a pandemic issue with barley malt syrup. It's harder to find something having to do with hops, barley, beer production. I don't even understand the details behind it, but it is still available. You have to get it online, basically. It's easier. But there's also a product available from King Arthur, possibly other places, which is the barley malt syrup in powder form non-diastatic malt powder. And you can use that one-to-one, tablespoon of barley malt, tablespoon of the powder. It achieves the same thing, gives you that malty flavor, the sweetener. So that's one solution. The other is honey or maple syrup. You don't get that malt. You don't get that traditional bagel smell, but it's. I think they're very good with honey. And the powder sounds great. I'm going to have to look into that because I was really annoyed. Like I wanted to make like the best bagel I could following the best way to do it. And I've bought barley malt syrup before and I literally went to five stores and I've even gone down to like Whole Foods down, you know, like in like Gaithersburg. I thought like they'll probably have it. Nope, they didn't have it down there. And I'm like, why does nobody have this all of a sudden? It has something to do with barley production and that was cut back and can't get the barley, you know whatever. Well, and now there's the great cream cheese shortage too. Like that, how, nobody saw that coming. I think it's eased up a little bit, but one week I couldn't, I couldn't even get regular cream cheese uh, at Wegmans, but you, you've taught people how they can make their own cream cheese too. I have. Yes. DIY cream cheese is pretty easy. I mean, it's a four day process, but it's so good Like to taste what it's supposed to be like without the stabilizers and the gums and all the things that they put in cream cheese. It's pretty great. So you'd say worth it? Give it a try. Definitely worth it. It's it's very, um, there's very little to do. It makes itself. You just hang it up somewhere and let it drain. Do you have a favorite bagel or bagel combo? Like for me, it's a everything bagel with vegetable cream cheese. Like if you're going to a place, what's your go-to? 
My bagel order is um, an untoasted everything bagel with cream cheese, lox, and a slice of tomato if the tomato's in season. And it's not okay to toast a bagel? That's a hot I'm not jumping on that one because my husband's a toaster. Um, so, you know, I feel like I have to uh, stand back and let people do what they want to with their bagel. I, I'm not going to harsh anybody's bagel. I think it also depends on the freshness factor, too. You know, like if you go in the morning somewhere and get them from a shop. But my wife used to go to the shop that notoriously would not toast anyone's bagel. Like they drew a line in the sand that like they weren't going <laughs> to do it. I, I feel like that's kind of anti-customer service, you know. it's like, Well, yeah. Give them what they want. And my, uh, I don't want to call it a hot take, but like I will not eat a fruit, like blueberry bagel, cinnamon raisin bagel. I just can't do Like I don't like sweet stuff for breakfast anyway. Like I very rarely have like pancakes or waffles. I want that savory. But I like mm-hmm. a blueberry bagel to me is just the worst thing out there. But I, I know people like them. Well, I, I had to have a lot of conversations with my dead relatives about the section in the book that takes bagels to a whole new direction. And one of those is blueberry. And I have to say that I I made the distinction that the wild blueberries, the little tiny wild blueberries are better in this case than the big ones, because the big ones kind of smash and get green and it's not appealing and they don't carry their flavor in the same way. So I went to make the best blueberry bagel I could. Let me just say that. But there are a lot of bagels in the section that I call bagels my grandmother wouldn't recognize that are legitimately delicious, particularly in sandwiches. Panera has that like cinnamon crunch bagel. And I don't get Panera a lot, but something about that is really delicious. I will eat one of those. But other than that, I'm not a sweet bagel guy. But, you know, maybe I'll give it a try. Now, if I'm going to start making bagels at home, uh, it might be worth branching out there. I would say the one that's really delicious is the granola bagel. That one is fantastic. Okay, so that's the gateway, not savory bagel. Great. Correct. And then you also have a lot of stuff in there. What else is in the book? You do like salmon preparations. Well, there's a whole chapter on schmears, which I think is sort of critical because a bagel without a schmear is lonely. And like the bagels, there are some sweet and some savory ones. And Uh, I just love all of them, honestly. There's not a single one in there that I wouldn't eat. Uh, But you're right. There's how to make your own lox at home, which is just a couple of days in salt and sugar. Very, very easy. There's kippering salmon, which is hot smoking. And I show you how to set it up in a wok and do it that way, which is pretty fast and fun and guaranteed to set off the smoke alarm. Uh, all the deli salads that you know, egg salad, chicken salad, tuna salad, and also smoked whitefish salad. There's a trout spread. A couple of my family recipes, borscht, shav, my grandfather's famous onions and eggs, which are just the most delicious thing ever. Um, and then all kinds of sandwiches. So it sounds like it's a very personal book, like you've really brought some of your family stuff into it. It's funny. Uh, when you're writing books you have this idea that you're exposing, you know, your personal side. And I felt like all of my books were pretty personal. And then I got to this one and it just, I mean, my memory bank was blown open. I I opened up this beat up army green metal recipe box that belonged to my grandmother, Mary, and started going through it and looking at her handwriting and thinking a lot about what I ate as a kid and what she introduced me to 
and the sort of um, essential foods that were in my family's uh, at, at my family's table. And I started dreaming about those times and remembering details from her kitchen and my great grandmother's kitchen, things that had just been buried after we won't talk how many decades. So it did end up being more personal than I ever expected when I started writing it. I had dropped in a few things in the first draft and my editor sent the note back and was like, give me more. I want to hear more. And so I, I did. And it was really fun and gratifying. It's also nice that most of the reviews so far have identified that personal aspect and, and appreciated it. So it's nice. Well, I think that's what makes a cookbook stand out as someone who has too many cookbooks personally. You know, it's like what makes no one ba- what makes one bagel book different than another? I mean, you're probably not the first person, maybe the best person or, you know, but, <laughs> you know, how does one stand out? Like I think about pizza and how, you know, I have like five different books on making pizza. I might have more, but like how do you decide which one you're going to read or which is going to be your go-to or if you're someone who's going to buy one? And for me, it's those little personal touches where it's also the little stories and anecdotes. Oh, that's good to hear. I guess the stuff that everyone complains about on blog posts, right? Like the, you've had enough of the like, <laughs> skip to the stories, just give me the recipe, right? Which that narrative is getting yeah. kind of tired. And now we're all kind of joking about it on Twitter. You know, I, I blogged from 2008 forward for, for many, many years. And heard that a lot. So, uh, and then, you know, wrote for newspapers where you write a head note that's 500, 600 words. I guess you just have to learn to scroll to the bottom if you don't care. Now you're doing a really fun kind of promotion with the book and like bagels at shops. Can you talk about that for a little bit? I have to just give so many kudos to Chronicle Books and their marketing team. They're very, very creative. Um, We had talks about this early on, about uh, how connected I felt readers and bagel eaters are. I think it's, uh, I go to a bagel shop, it's uh, not at all unusual to see somebody sitting with a book and having their bagel and coffee. So it was a logical connection. And we went to cities where I knew or had heard about exceptional bagels and just sort of ferreted out the right bookstore, the right bagel shop. And so until it's just for the next couple of days, uh, if you buy a pre-order a book, you get a coupon to get a free bagel and schmear at a local bagel shop. And that's just seven cities. They did a great job with that. That's really cool. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. No, I don't think I have either. I mean, really fun. And we have some more fun things coming up. What's your plan for promotion? Are you doing like a little book tour? I am. I'm doing a small tour in person and a small tour virtually. And all of that will be on my website, uh, kathybarrow.com. I've got things up there already with links. I start March 13th and I'll be doing events at this point right through the middle of May. I'll be in San Francisco, Seattle, Pittsburgh, and virtually I'll be um, doing bagel classes with the Manhattan JCC and also with the 92nd Street Y and doing conversations with a library on Martha's Vineyard and a couple other places. How far ahead do you start thinking? Like, are you not to get too far ahead and, you know, you've got a lot going on with this, but are you already thinking about what comes next? Sure. I mean, 
<laughs> it's what I do for a living. If I yeah. weren't thinking about that, then I'd have to be thinking that I'm, I'm done. Um, but I might be, I, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm at an age where I could decide to retire, but my brain's really busy and I'm always making things and thinking about it. And I love writing cookbooks. I love writing recipes. I love having people read what I'm writing about and making the food that I'm you know, putting out there. What's inspiring to you these days? Like, is there any cuisine you're really interested in? Or, you know, if you were just to go make a meal this weekend, like where are you drawing those things from? Uh, I have a really terrific cookbook club that I've been part of for six years in DC. And we've been meeting virtually even through this whole weird time. And uh, whoever hosts picks the cookbook or the author that we're going to dive into. And in January of 2021, we looked into Japanese cooking for the first time. And I uh, got the Morimoto cookbook and a couple of other cookbooks. And I've been just obsessed with Japanese cooking for the last two years. It's just making us very happy. My husband's a vegetarian, um, leans vegan. And so we can find a lot of things there that make us super happy. That's a an avenue I haven't really explored. I've I've done a little, but I haven't spent enough time on Japanese cooking and food. And is the Morimoto cookbook a good cookbook? I think it's very good. It uh, it doesn't have as many vegetable dishes as I wanted, so I bought another one, Modern Japanese Home Cooking by Suno Sanai. I think some I, I don't remember her name exactly, but Modern. Japanese home cooking. And that is more vegetable heavy and also explores some things like Japanese breakfasts, which I'm pretty interested in. Very cool. I'll have to look into those. Mm -hmm. One of the questions I've been asking everyone this season is, what does it mean to you to be a chef? And uh, I could interject my own opinions here, but I just like take that question and run with it. What does that mean to you? Well, I'm not a chef. I didn't go to culinary school and I would never call myself one because of that. I'm a home cook. I'm a solid home cook with a no fear. Let me put it that way. I, I am not afraid of failing in the kitchen because I've done it a lot. And I think that's the way you learn. Uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm very happy to be a recipe developer and a recipe writer. And to me, the ability to use my recipes and successfully put together a meal that looks something like the one that I put together. And when I see my readers doing that and posting pictures, it fills me with a lot of joy and a sense of satisfaction. I put things out because I think they're delicious and I want people to be able to replicate them without fretting. Well, I think you've done a really good job with that. Your books are are pretty straightforward. Like, I don't think there's anything. I have all of your books, love them all. And Thank I don't think you. I've ever encountered a recipe that, you know, I, I wasn't successful with. I mean, you can always do better, right? Like the bagels oh, the first yeah. time with the bagel for me, it's the shaping, which I think is probably the hardest part is like getting it down so they don't look kind of misshapen if you're going to do the rolling them out and the pinching. Like I think I pinched a little too hard. So then you yeah. have, you know, it's nice and big, except for the one spot where it's kind of like squishy and I'm trying to push it together on the side to get it to come back to shape. One of the uh, people who is um, 
planning to interview me on my book tour is Nancy Leeson in, in Seattle. And one of her students looked at the bagels that she'd formed and said, what happens with those stretch marks? And now, whenever I look at what I've made, all I can think about are stretch marks. It's such a funny con- you know, idea. Um, shaping a bagel is such a skill that there was a union for it starting back in the early 1900s. And they had apprentices. And to this day, there are bagel rollers, they're called, who are freelance and work all through New York in the middle of the night shaping bagels. It's it's a talent and a skill. And so you're not going to knock them out the first time looking perfectly. It, It takes, you know, some work. And it is okay to have them in a ball and kind of poke a hole in it. Actually, Absolutely. when I did mine, uh, I did a test where I did three that way and three the other way. And those came out better. I felt like maybe yeah. it wasn't as traditional and I should have been, you know, doing the rolling and pinching. But I had a lot of luck just kind of sticking my thumb through and then gently stretching them out. And those yes. uh, those ones looked a little better. I also like a smaller hole because I do a lot of like egg sandwiches and I hate when you have the big hole it in the middle. It smushes through. Yeah, and mm-hmm. everything comes through. So I don't mind it having a, a smaller hole there. I recommend one of two ways in the book, either the pokem or the rollum method. So you're you're right in there. And this idea of being able to adjust the bagel to make the hole bigger or smaller according to the way you're going to use it. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that great that you can do that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we <laughs> sometimes have to, you know, we've on occasion bought like the Lenders frozen bagel and the holes on those are like huge. Those and the the Wegmans brand especially have these gigantic holes and impossible were, to sandwich. Impossible, right? even though we try. I've tried yeah. a number of days. I made my <laughs> daughter a egg sandwich yesterday morning on one of those and it's like everything's squishing out through the middle there. That's right. Well, what haven't we talked about? What do you want to get into about um, your book? Anything you have coming up? Well, there are a lot of personal stories in the book. There are riddles, there are jokes, there are history lessons. I just hope people will pick it up and enjoy it. I've already been telling people that this book's coming. I'm really excited about it. There was another podcast for some reason we were talking about it as well, but um, thanks so much for the the copy, and I'd love Absolutely. playing with it. I think this weekend I've got some time, so maybe tonight I'll get a batch ready so that Saturday morning we can have bagels Yum. at home. And you know, it's just one of those things like you got to keep practicing. It's you know, Andres and I talked about that with pizza. You know, like you have pizza crust, and you know you're not going to nail it the first time. And I've not had a lot of luck pitching pizza onto the steel, you know, but you keep doing it. Oh yeah, how how bad can it be? And the same with bagels, like you know. The shape might be off a little bit, but they're still going to be Most delicious. Most of my pizzas are oval <laughs> because of that shaking it onto the steel and it just like compresses that perfect round becomes oval. Well, we talked about the fact um, and taking a page out of your book, building it on parchment on your peel and then sliding it on. And then after about a minute, it kind of sets. It's hot enough that then you can slide it out. Um, so, uh, the last batch of pizzas I did, I did it like that because after I, I never thought about putting parchment on there it's like, Oh, of course you can put parchment. I mean, he warns with the pizza, he likes to use the broiler up top and you will catch your parchment on fire. I was so, just like, about to tell you, you about can't do that. Yeah. Three times in a row that I set the parchment on fire and my husband's now let's order pizza, but I'm going back in this weekend. I'm making one for sure. <laughs> yes. The, those are the fun things that I love cooking. But the book is so wonderful, and I can't wait for everyone to check it out. There will be tons of links in the show notes. People will be able to find you, your website. 
where to order the book. Um, where do you want, I mean, is there a place you like to send people online to find you or everywhere? You know, I'm, I have a presence on Facebook, on Twitter, but, um, I spend the most time on Instagram. That's where you'll find like all of me. And I also wanted to mention that I have a newsletter now that I write every two weeks. It's called cook, garden, knit, repeat. Those are the three things that I'm doing with my life. And there's always a new recipe. There are a lot of links to things that I'm reading. Uh, you don't have to like all three of those things to read the newsletter. <laughs> so uh, it's free. Subscribe at my website. Fantastic. Well, I'm down with the cooking and the gardening. Um, I haven't taken up knitting yet, but who knows? You never know. <laughs> it's been really nice talking to you. Yeah, it was really nice talking to you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And anything I can do to help get the word out, let me know. Thanks. Good luck with your weekend bageling. Thank you. And to all of our listeners, this has been Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. Go to chefswithoutrestaurants.org to find our Facebook group, mailing list, and chef database. The community's free to join. You'll get gig opportunities, advice on building and growing your business, and you'll never miss an episode of our podcast. Have a great week. <laughs>